0: She's always been the type of person that just says things and she just speaks her mind. I guess that has a little bit to do with not having a formal education.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm James. And I'm Jonathan. And we are here with episode 49, celebrating the reign of House Williams at Wimbledon. And this is this is probably our best day to podcast ever.
0: And it's also the podcast that best gels everything we've talked about, really, on the podcast for the last year and a half. We've got lots of Williams. we got some Mariah. You can figure out where that comes mm-hmm. in later on. We've got Beyonce. We've got some Andy. We've got lots of lemonade. <laughs> Tea, even. <laughs> We're not gonna do one big long drawn-out intro because this is gonna be a long episode. We're gonna tell you what to look for. We've got a special guest at the end of the episode. Stephanie Neppel. You may know her as at Stefan the US on Twitter. She's a well-traveled tennis fan. A tennis scribe. She's been to many an event. Grand slams, regular tour events all over the globe. And she's got some great insights into her time at Wimbledon.
1: So you're also going to hear our recap of the women's draw. We're going to be doing a dramatic reading of some Venus Williams press quotes. (laughs) Which I really hope you'll enjoy as much as
0: we did. We set it to the background music of a Mariah song. So points to you if you can tell us what song that is. And and why. Yes, why. That's very important as well.
1: And then we're going to be talking about the men. Briefly. Who will be getting short shrift in comparison to the Williams. <laughs> and followed by our interview. So
0: sit tight. Here on The Body Serve, we like to give coverage based on how the players earn the airtime on our show. <laughs> and as far as we are concerned... Uh, The equal airtime hasn't been earned by the men Mm, this go around. mm, So mm, there mm. we go, girl. (laughs) So let's get right into it. Serena Williams has finally won her 22nd Grand Slam title, tying Steffi Graf to behind. She who shall not be named because she's a religious bigot, hates gay people, won all her shit before it really mattered. Margaret Court. She's not part
1: of the conversation. Not at all. Although she does have pretty legendary stank face. That, I will give her that.
0: You can't even consider that resting stank resting bitch face or a stank face. She's just like the way she is. <laughs> That's just the way she was born. She was born that way. <laughs> so
1: this episode is not about Margaret Court. This is about you know, I was thinking this is probably the most positive, most joyous tennis day that we've had since we started this podcast.
0: We did not talk about this, our conference about this. I came to this broadcast with the exact same thinking. Like, this is the perfect confluence of everything we talk about and live for on this podcast.
1: Right. I mean, as a fan, you don't get many days like this. As a Williams fan, you get probably more than we deserve. But you really have to... Sit back, stop, and appreciate when something like this happens.
0: And it's not just Serena. It's Venus too. Right. Venus made the goddamn semifinals. Mm -hmm. And and they won doubles on the same day that Serena won singles. Like this was the entire thing was the Williams show. Mm -hmm. And it's at Wimbledon.
1: It's like home for them. I think their games are more beautiful at Wimbledon than anywhere else. It's like their games were built for this.
0: Also, they are black women playing in a lily white sport on the hallowed grass of Wimbledon in a British environment Mm -hmm. where, you know, the Brits have their own history of colonialization, right? Oh, really? I thought it was just America. (laughs) Just America?
1: I come from Jamaica, (laughs) brother. What are you talking about? Because the British outlawed slavery, like... Two and a half minutes before the US? Is that what, you know, that's where's that superiority come <laughs> no,
0: from? No, I think of Britain as the mother country still, all these right, many years right. later. You know, you come from it for, at a, from a different perspective because mm. I don't, honestly, I don't even necessarily think of the US as being a former colony because I didn't learn that history growing right. up. But yeah, like that, Wimbledon is Venus and Serena's backyard and that they're finally getting this adulation and just love from the British crowd, and have done this at 34 and 36, it's too much to have asked for. It seems like
1: the reception has gotten really, really strong and welcoming. I I noticed it at this tournament, and I think it's been growing probably over the past few years, and you know, we're going to talk about it with Steph, our guest, but... You know, the All England Club is always trying to pull some bullshit with Venus and court assignments. We know this. And women in general. But the crowds seem to just absolutely relish the time that they have with Serena and Venus.
0: And from the very start, there just seemed something different about this tournament for mm-hmm. both for both of them.
1: Yeah. You and I talked about that in the first week. And I was... I think we were both afraid of jinxing it?
0: No. I, I was very assured from the start. I told oh. you in our preview oh. episode... That while I had been the cautious one and the one to, you know, talk you down off your high horse with Serena (laughs) at the Australian and French Open. I was most confident about Serena winning this tournament Mm -hmm. because reading all the tea leaves, it just felt like this was going to be the event for her Mm -hmm. for 22. And it happened. Right. And after the McHale match, you know, she really
1: started to play well. She was dialed in on her serve. And it really felt to me that it's going to happen here. And not only is it going to happen here, this is a tournament that's going to cement her legacy. And is going to write a new chapter. Because at this age, after losing in a semi and then two finals to up-and-coming players, to come out and play like this with such determination, I mean, this is going into the history books.
0: Angelique Kerber made the final... She beat Serena in Australia. She is officially number two in the rankings again, but also officially the second best player in, on the WTA right now.
1: She really is. She's no joke. And we said this after the Australian Open, that it was not a fluke that she won. No. You know, Serena didn't play her best, but in the Australian and in this match, Angeli Kerber
0: came to play. And we saw many times that even when Serena brought her best, that wasn't her serving best. Mm -hmm. You know, like, there's only so much anybody can do when Serena's bombing 120 out wide. Right. Angelique Kerber is getting balls in play very regularly, more than anybody else really against Serena. We saw her do that against Venus in the semifinals. Mm -hmm. She's just impregnable from the baseline. She runs down everything. Her game might not be the most beautiful or spectacular to watch. But she she makes Serena play. Mm-hmm. And because she's not that spectacular, people are tempted to think, well, if Serena were playing her best or absolute best, she should just blow her out 6-love, six 6-love. Six no. No. Like, part of that 7-5-6-3 scoreline is Angelique Kerber's doing, which is what we said in Australia as well. Serena didn't just lose that match. Kerber won it. And her improvement over the last couple of years has been a real testament to the depth on the WTA tour. Because, wow, mm-hmm. I'm so impressed by Angela Kerber.
1: And it would be really unfair to just call her a retriever. Mm-hmm. Because she's returning these balls with interest. Yeah. You know, to take a commentator's cliche. But she is using a lot of the pace from Serena and returning it with a lot of power.
0: And doing so much. Doing the most <laughs> from defense and right? turning it into offense. That is a skill that damn near nobody has.
1: I really liked watching these two women use their brains. You could practically see their minds work on the mm-hmm. court today. And, you know, something that was missing in Australia was that Serena was going to this tactic over and over that didn't work. And going to the net. Of Just course, willingly
0: haphazard.
1: And, you know, leaving the cross court open. And that's what we heard from all the commentators, that if you get it to... Angelique's forehand, she's going to pass you cross court. And it we, happened over and over. We and over. saw that on match yeah.
0: point in the semifinal against Venus. Mm. Venus hit an almighty forehand down the line. And you thought, okay, whoo! <laughs> match point set. and Kerber just like, boop, ain't no right. thing. Mm-hmm. That's her MO. Right. And so this
1: time you saw Serena go out with a plan, but also enough composure and calm to think through points. You know, to not panic, to not go for the big shot to end the point. She was willing to dig into rallies.
0: And I really do think that grass was a huge difference for her in this tournament. Yes, her serve plays well on all surfaces, but on grass, it's such a big factor for her in terms of giving her confidence for one. Mm -hmm. And two, it just sets her up so well for the rest of the point. Even if she doesn't serve an ace, her opponent is more on the back foot on grass than any other surface. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, she has seven of these now. The Williams sisters have 12 in the past, what, they've been playing it for 19, 20 years? <laughs> like, it's crazy. Out of those 20 years, this one
0: house has 12. Kudos to Angelique Kerber. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy that she's number two. We're going to get into it a little bit later on in terms of what number two really means on the WTA tour right now. But for now, let's focus in-house on the Williams sisters. (laughs) In-house. In-house. So where to even start, really? Well, all week we've seen Patrick Moratoglu, the new ESPN consultant. Because this word consultant is the new word that people are throwing around To mask all the fucking conflicts of interest, right? Mm, Right. John McEnroe is a commentator slash coach slash consultant. Mm. Moratoglu is a consultant. You know, like, we do glean a lot of really useful, insightful things from these people. But you know where we stand, listeners, Uh, on this whole business of conflicts of interest in tennis. But Patrick was really gung-ho about Serena's chances all week. Even going as, going so far as to say that she will win at certain points before the final.
1: Right. Okay. At this point, Patrick knows her. Regardless of how we like to make fun of Patrick, talk about his ego, which is formidable. You know, he never met a camera he didn't like. They work. Yeah, that, like, clearly. There is something about that relationship that just clicks. That Serena really responds to him.
0: And you see Serena interacting with him for the first time, Quote-unquote, backstage mm. after winning the title. right? And you just want to hear everything they're saying. You can't hear any words. You can only see it. Mm-hmm. Serena's miming a few oh my slices, God. some <laughs> volleys, and they're hugging. And Patrick Almo almost looks like she's hugging for too long. He wants her to let go. Right. You know what? She She has such affection for him. And they have really a special relationship. It's clear.
1: And it's almost like she was telling him, look... I did what you told me. Right? See? Like,
0: and it worked. <laughs> because, rest assured, and be clear, Serena's net game was not the same Serena's net game that we saw in Australia and at the French Open. Whether you want to chalk that up to the many matches that they won in doubles, because they won doubles as well today. Mm. Just so you know. <laughs> did you hear? <laughs> That obviously had something to do with it, but for the longest time we've been saying both Serena and Venus, what the hell has happened to their net game? Right, right. And there's even fans
1: out there saying, oh, Serena's net game is terrible. She can't volley. And I'm like, what? No, but she can. Where did it go? You know, (laughs) like she could. I know that with practice, she has excellent Mm -hmm. touch. And of course, Venus.
0: Venus naturally, I feel, has more touch at net than Serena. Yes. It's and Serena doesn't seem to like it as much as Venus. But, but both she goes of, to it. She goes to it. But both of them have struggled mightily in the last few months. And now we know, and we can tell, because Venus was improved at net as well this tournament, mm-hmm. that it had to do with a lack of match play in doubles.
1: Right. And it's, for me, it's a real shame when Venus is not playing at the net well, because that is one of the highlights of the women's game in the past 15 Venus's years. Venus's wingspan. Is, right. Venus's flight toward the net is an absolutely gorgeous sight. I also thought it was funny that Serena was talking uh, in interviews about, you know, oh, I don't know why I'm serving so well. I just, you know, I just started hitting aces and I I don't know where they come from. <laughs> I'm like, well, they come from practicing your serve when you were 5 years old and never stopping, you yeah. know.
0: There there has to be something to be said about the familiarity of the grass at Wimbledon, right? Mm-hmm. That has to be part of it.
1: And we know that these sisters have a lot of respect for the traditions of the game, mm-hmm. despite how they've been treated here and there, you know? But they grew up watching players win at Wimbledon. They loved Pete Sampras. You know, they both talk about watching Pete Sampras play at Wimbledon. I think that's probably how Richard and Orosine kind of educated them on the world of pro tennis like that was the the cathedral so to speak
0: we have here on our little agenda you've written down is this catharsis for losing the career grand slam the calendar calendar year grand slam yes (laughs) because we know she has the career grand slam three times over girl she got that in 2002 damn what was (laughs) I thinking
1: oh sorry 2003 australian that's Mm. when she got it um, are you asking me? You want me to answer my own question? Yeah, why
0: not? I think this is a cleansing moment. A cleansing? Yeah.
1: Well, I use catharsis. That, that, that's what that means. Did she drink you know? some
0: of Venus's juices? <laughs> and
1: have a good bowel movement? Venus probably <laughs> drinks this, like, crazy green juice, right? Like, that's probably what her thing. Kale and kumquats and all this shit. <laughs> Flax seed all ground up in there. And no, but to be to be serious... I do think that this is kind of a healing moment. Lindsay Davenport on Wertheim's podcast talked about how immensely painful this had to be for Serena. And this is like a grieving process. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I'm really starting to feel bad about talking shit about her. Like, really bad. Right. It's getting worse. Because now I see on uh, WTA Insider's um, like match notes, like the live match updates, Lindsay Davenport... Is crying at match point, and while Serena is, you know, accepting her accolades, she's literally crying because I did not she's know so that. moved. Because I did not know she that. knows how, what it has taken for Serena to get here.
0: You know what? You should feel bad because you're the one well, who, is I do who really now. stank and nasty about. Lindsay yes, I know. On.
1: Separate yourself from me.
0: I will. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. There, it's amazing the effect that she has on players who were very bitter rivals Mm -hmm. not that they hated each other but they were very serious competitors and now that Lindsay is retired she's shown such crazy respect and admiration for serena i think it says a lot about her
0: i mean we still haven't heard from the hand the the hand of belgium Mm -hmm.
1: yeah i don't think we will and i really have no desire to hear
0: (laughs) from the hand we also feel like this event was legacy building, not just for Serena, but for Venus, and also for the family, mm-hmm. for the entire Williams tennis brand. This Wimbledon was some next level shit, right?
1: the The images of Venus and Serena accepting their trophies, laughing, joking around with each other—it looks. It's taking me back to like nineteen ninety nine. I feel like they're little girls again.
0: It's so heartwarming. But also <laughs> when they won doubles, you were like, why are they going up into the box? Yeah, I didn't know what's even,
1: going on. I didn't even know that's where they accepted their trophies
0: mm-hmm. in the royal box. And so I'm like, well, how more fitting could it be? Well that Venus and Serena accept their trophies in the royal box. Right. It made for a strange spectacle, for sure. <laughs> And we didn't get any, you know, on court interviews post win. Mm-hmm. But that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Meanwhile, Babos and Shvedova are just four tiers above them, just like, hey. They were
1: having a blast. The fact that they were having so much fun makes me like them a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And when Shvedova was losing to Venus in the quarterfinals, you didn't watch that match, but that was pretty cool. Because mm-hmm. Venus is up by a country mile, mm-hmm. and she should have to have been double broken for her to lose that second set lead. And she has match point, and Shredova saves one of them, and she's just having the time of her life. <laughs> That's just who she is. Right. And But you think, like, why not? Yeah. You've
1: reached the quarterfinals, you probably had no designs on doing that.
0: I mean, she plays well on yeah. the surface, but... Why not have fun? Kudos to her. How many times in life are we faced with situations where like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm experiencing this. And we can't get out of our own way to Mm -hmm. enjoy it. Right. We're not talking about being Grand Slam champions here. We're talking about just walking by somebody who's really cool, maybe somebody famous, and being, being able to step outside of yourself. Like, oh my God, wow. Right. You know, just something very simple. And then hours, days later, you're like, wow, I... I really kind of messed that up. I wish I could do it all over again. And for her to just be in that really tense moment of her life, of her professional career, and just run with it and give it all that she has, there's something to be learned from that. Mm.
1: And then in the doubles final, Babos gives up their final challenge in the second set, (laughs) and they didn't have one left. So the crowd thinks it's hilarious. And then Babos thinks it's funny too. And she actually kind of needed it in the next game. No, that ball was out. (laughs) (laughs) But it was
0: closer than the ball she challenged. Oh my god. Serena holding Venus's hand for all intents and purposes while Venus served (laughs) for the match in that doubles final. That was really cool to see.
1: I mean, Serena like slashing away at the net. I don't Mm want to be anywhere near that.
0: I'm going to be a little bit negative here. Mm -hmm. Because this is something that I've always wondered. And I want feedback from folks who are Williams fans Venus and Serena, and who can maybe instruct me or set me straight. I've always felt that Serena is less appreciative and thankful of Venus in her winning speeches after these singles titles than I would like her to be. Mm -hmm. Whether or not that's my own projection, whether or not that's just not the kind of public relationship they have in these moments, I don't know. But I feel like Serena always thanks Jehovah And then Orcine and Richard and all these people, Jill, Sasha back in the day, everybody else. And then maybe there's like, oh, yeah, thanks, Venus. Or if she's prompted through a question as she Mm -hmm. was today, you know, she will mention her name.
1: Right. And I know that bothers you every time we watch. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't help it. I cannot help it. And it is it comes off as a little weird to me sometimes because she's always thanking her father who's not there. And then a lot of times it's thank you to my dad who's not here but I know he's watching and thanks to the rest of my family. Mm-hmm. And so that's it. Like yeah. that covers the Venus sisters.
0: covers. Right. Which in a sense maybe that's their equal playing field dynamic within the, the, the sisterhood. Well, yeah, that could be. That because Venus and Serena have this high profile sistership. Mm-hmm. That, is that a word? Sistership? S- no. Sisterhood? <laughs> 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 that they include the other sisters by just putting a blanket that's family statement. That's actually a
1: statement. good point. Yeah, because the other sisters are successful in what they've chosen to do as uh-huh. well. And, and they're you know...
0: always there supporting them regardless. Mm-hmm. So know that I've put that out there. Maybe that that's the reason I feel a little bit bad, but I would like to hear <laughs> Venus's name called every now and then.
1: No, but you know the Because interviewers... they had a
0: really special dynamic going this tournament. Venus and Serena were playing every day, sometimes at the same time on different courts. Mm. They were on different halves of the draw, but most days they were playing on the same day right and so we had this saturation of williams winning williams for two weeks that was it's been years mm-hmm. since we've we've had that and selfishly i'd like to believe that venus had a hand in in serena doing so well this week that, that having venus be alongside her in doubles encourage her have that you know kinship of both sisters doing well at this place that they love so much. Brought back a lot of good feelings that then boosted Serena's game. Mm. So that's where I'm, com- I'm coming from with that. So what do you make of this 22nd Grand Slam title going forward?
1: Well, going let's get down to brass tacks here. So this is title number 71. It's Wimbledon title number 7. Which is my favorite number. Because it's my birth date. Mm-hmm. And like... 10 billion people's favorite number, I know. Um, (laughs) 22, obviously. It's something we've been waiting for for a year, which it's crazy. Like, as a Serena fan, you are so spoiled. Yes. Like, she wins so frequently that when she loses, it's shocking, right?
0: Serena herself was asked when she was in the ESPN studio today, what's your favorite of the 22 titles? And she said plainly and frankly (laughs) i can't remember the 22 titles and then she kind of defaulted to the first one like we know she doesn't enjoy the ones that she beat venus in the final fine but can you wrong her like who can remember that many oh i know and i don't think she could even tell you which one she
1: beat venus in the final In she knows oh there were some at wimbledon um there was one in australia or something but you know she doesn't know the years or anything there are literally just too many and people like us study the stats because we talk about it. But she, mm-hmm. you know, she doesn't. She misplaces gold medals. I mean, when all you do is win, <laughs> why keep track? You just right. know you've won. But listen, she's now got like a stranglehold on number one. She's
0: She's got 300 no, weeks she's at number still, one she's total. Still, she's, she's, the stranglehold is a, still a bit of a stretch. It's better mm-hmm. if she loses early in the summer months. She's got points to defend at Cincinnati. She's got points to defend at the U.S. Open. Kerber could still take over number one. She could sneak in there. Yeah, Probably for a brief period, but long term, because Serena has zero points to defend after the U.S. Open, Mm -hmm. it's highly likely that Serena will be number one come year's end. Right.
1: And so right now she's at 300 weeks. Martina is 32 weeks away. And you know, the Holy Grail is that 377, that's Steffi Graf. And a few years ago, I thought 377 is unassailable. No one will ever do mm-hmm. that. And at this point, I don't want to say that it's likely, but it's certainly not impossible because it's w- less how, than
0: two years. How we saw her play today, there's no reason to believe that she can't win 10 more. 10 more. Why not? Like, she could win 10 in a row. Like We could be sitting here talking about Serena having won 8 in a row. Mm. Realistically. Like, those three matches she lost, Vinci, Kerber, Muguruza, like, Mm. those are winnable matches. It could be 8 in a row. It's not that we've seen a precipitous decline in Serena's play, and she's still hungry. So who knows how long this can go on for.
1: What I'm really looking for is, Steffi has the record as well for consecutive weeks at number 1, and that's 186. So Serena is at 177. That's nine weeks away. Mm -hmm. And so if she holds on to it through the summer, that is a huge record that she's sewn up. I mean, to to add to the list.
0: It's so crazy. In her mid-30s. Let's touch on Venus a little bit before we go into the other segments. Mm -hmm. Venus Williams won so many matches ugly. Won so many matches in three sets. Playing less than her best tennis. But she brought her ambition her grit her desire to every damn match Mm -hmm. and if you are somebody out there who is unable to be inspired by Venus Williams check your damn blood pressure (laughs) because I thought you were going to say check your blood clot
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for it oh I hope your mother doesn't hear that we'll we'll, we'll,
0: we'll see if we get a phone call (laughs) I mean, I, for a couple of years and I've wanted Venus, I've targeted Wimbledon as Venus's best bet for a deep run at a slam, right? Mm -hmm. She made a fourth round and two quarterfinals last year. And this year, you know, again, Wimbledon was the one. We said in our French Open preview episode, like, please, why couldn't Venus get this draw at at Wimbledon? Can we save this draw Mm -hmm. and just transfer it to Wimbledon? She made the fourth round there. She made the semifinals here. And honestly, I did not expect her to beat Kerber because her right. she and Kerber have a history. Kerber's beaten her at Wimbledon before, at the Olympics, at Wimbledon before. and But they're both better than they were, you know? Yes. Kerber is playing That's her best true. tennis, but That's Venus true. is
1: much better than she was in 2013. Her. But as
0: it turned out, by the time Venus got to the semifinals, she was at like 40% power level Mm. in video game speak. You know? (laughs) That the score was 6-4, 6-4 in favor of Kerber Mm -hmm. doesn't really tell the whole story about how depleted Venus looked.
1: Mm. Okay.
0: And so I didn't expect Venus to win that match. And frankly, from her effort and the scoreline, I was happy with that because she tried. Like, what more can you ask from Venus Williams at this point? And that she was able to go on and make the doubles final and win the doubles final was just the cherry on top of this motherfucking sunday <laughs>
1: <laughs> on that note we had this idea we've been very inspired by just the wisdom pouring out of miss williams lately and you know i don't think either of us are really that into like inspirational sports quotes in general no, not we don't at all. we don't have those posters up on the walls but i mean The genius coming out of Venus Williams is... We cannot pass it up. So we'd like to do a bit of a dramatic reading of some of her finer quotes.
0: Because Venus was going off (laughs) all two weeks at Wimbledon. She was just, like, dropping wisdom left, right, right, and center. And these are just a couple of Venus's pearls of wisdom. And we announced before we went to air that we're going to be doing this segment. And one of our listeners told us we had best do this segment with some dramatic music in the background, (laughs) right? And so I was like, oh my God, I have the perfect song in mind, but I'm going to need you all to tell us why this is the perfect soundtrack for this Venus dramatic reading. And kudos to you, JB, at Minerva2BC, because had you not tweeted me when you did this would not be happening the way it is you're right You're the
1: inspiration.
0: You're the reason in my life. What? No, you're the inspiration. <laughs> that's not the song, by the way. But that's what came to mind. Anyway, here we go.
1: People in general have this infinity inside of them. None of us feel old. None of us feel unable. We all feel able, no matter what age we are. You have this infinity inside you that feels like it could go on forever.
0: The first time you win, nobody picks you. The last time you win, nobody picks you. You've just got to pick yourself.
1: It's what I'm here for. I didn't enter the draw to lose. I didn't enter the singles draw to lose. Who does that? So that's the goal now, is tomorrow to do our best to win each and every point. We don't even want to lose one.
0: It's easy to be afraid. You have to let fear go. Another lesson is you just have to believe in yourself. You just have to. There's no way around it. You've got to believe in yourself. No matter how things are stacked against you, you just have to, every time. I heard
1: being married is tough. You have to stick around, be supportive, listen. It seems really hard. Everybody does it at some point, I guess. So for the guys, maybe they have it harder in the top 10. I don't know. Everybody's life is different.
0: I can't say. I don't know. I don't really have a comment on that question. Sorry. Okay, pull up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That last one was to some real bullshit question about... First of all, it was so rude because the reporter asked Venus if the fans were getting their money's worth because both women's semis were done in under 2 hours that is so disrespectful to ask her to her face mm. and then she was pressed why don't you have a comment and she said well it's free choice <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god to an extent i get where she's where the question is coming from because there have been a lot a lot of these questions in press reflect the discourse on twitter Right. And there was Mm -hmm. a lot of talk stemming from the BBC tweets, which we'll get to regarding the length of the women's semifinals. But good for Venus, because that is her prerogative to shut dumb shit down. Mm -hmm.
1: I have to say that the first quote that I read, the people have this infinity inside of them. The first time I read that, I actually teared up a little like it is. It's genius. It's poetry. And you also feel that
0: Venus believes that about herself.
1: right? And it reminded me, my friend Meg will corroborate this. Carl Sagan, you know, the um, astronomer, author, uh-huh. he has this famous quote about, uh, like, we are all star stuff, like, that we all come from the universe, basically. And this quote from Venus that she just came up with off the top of her head reminded me, you know, that... We have this infinity inside us. We're all connected. Like, there's something eternal about us. It's just... It's amazing.
0: This is going to be a long episode, because we still got three more things to talk about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Quickly.
0: L- let's keep the negative things short. Okay. Because we do have a few things to bitch about. Mm-hmm. Marion Bartoli. This was one uh, story that was widely talked about a lot on Twitter during the the second week of Wimbledon, where it was announced that she was kind of kicked out of the Invitational Doubles Mm -hmm. for medical reasons. And she came forth and said that she had this virus that was affecting her health. Where a lot of people on Twitter was like, well, clearly she has like anorexia.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, people have been accusing her, basically, of having an eating disorder since she lost a lot of weight. And Mm -hmm. she's been looking, like, alarmingly frail. We've
0: had that reaction, to be Uh, quite honest.
1: But... But no, but there's a difference between having a visceral Mm -hmm. reaction to the way that she looks and telling people publicly that she has anorexia. That's irresponsible, and I would never do that. Like, are you doctors? Right. Do you know? And so when she announced that she's suffering from an illness and she has to go away for a little while, there are all these people on Twitter who are all of a sudden psychiatrists and
0: physicians.
1: Who know exactly what's wrong with saying her? Saying that she's mentally you
0: know? ill, that she's anorexic, that she has all these eating disorders. Mm. Which she may well suffer those from those things. But that is so beyond the pale and so far beyond a good look to be saying those things about a woman in public, about her parents, about serious medical conditions that many women, millions of women suffer from, and men mm. on a daily, yearly basis. I just refuse to even interact with that, because that's, it was just wrong on so many levels.
1: Yeah, so the point of bringing her up, basically, is that we're not going to talk about it. No. Her. So, that's that.
0: Other than to chastise other people. Sorry, <laughs> not sorry. <laughs>
1: In keeping with the theme of the day. Right. Oh my god, how do we not even mention Beyonce and Jay-Z oh at my Wimbledon?
0: God. Oh my god. Beyonce with her round glosses. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I could not believe she was there. Oh, and by the way, she was playing in Dublin tonight, not in London. She had to leave the match to take a little flight over to Ireland.
0: Oh, not that far. Well, but I realized that. Yeah. But-, but do you think that that was planned? Come on. What do you mean? Like Serena appears in her video and she's planning oh. this world tour and the dates and <laughs> when they're going to be. And she's like, well, you know, I'm going to make it so that I'm in the UK region. Mm-hmm.
1: And Serena's like, well, I'm going to be in the final, so...
0: And I'm going to win, (laughs) so you best be there with Jay-Z. Do you think Jay-Z knew about that plan? Like, why was Jay-Z there?
1: I mean, does he really know about any plans
0: anymore? I think (laughs) he just goes where he's told, you know? Oh my god. The BBC tweets about Venus and Serena. Oh my... Who took over their Twitter account? I don't know. But... They made some amends with their mm-hmm. "Still I Rise" video. They tried. They tried. I still don't think it was as great as they well, intended it to be because it's not theirs. No, it's from Serena's
1: Sports yeah. Person of the Year acceptance speech. And
0: quite frankly, Serena's face while she's reading those words, she's kind of like, mm, I'm "Not too into this right now." <laughs> I know, I just got this hesitant vibe from her in reading those things. The net mm. effect after she won, because it was released after she won, mm. fabulous, right? Yeah. But I wasn't really buying into all of that too much. Still, the preceding tweets talking about how you have these two pictures of Venus, one from like 1997, and then from this year talking about how, oh, look, all these years, all these years later, Venus still has wacky hair. Are you fucking kidding me? What? Wacky? Wacky.
1: Uh, I don't think we have to explain the problem with that, do we?
0: If... You're in need of explanation of the problem with that. I offer you two suggestions. One. (laughs) Oh, no. no. One. Listen to the previous, what, 47 episodes of The Body (laughs) Serve and figure it out. (laughs) Or two, just don't listen to us again.
1: It's as simple as that. If you don't get that, I don't even know why you're here, to be honest.
0: And then the second one, talking about how Serena, after she just dropped a fucking masterpiece of a match. Talking about how... Do you remember what exactly what the words yeah, were? Yeah,
1: well, they deleted it. So it said her match lasted just 48 minutes. Uh, and then I forgot the rest. But it's like, but Serena still believes in equal pay. I mean... That is so rude. Because... But the way that the headline was yeah. written is... Even though this hoe played for only 48 minutes,
0: she still thinks she should make as much as Roger Federer. Who you <laughs> won seven games against Marcus Wilson in the second round. Like, lost. he earned okay. his money. He yeah, lost. Like, come on. Right? Like, goodbye.
1: They were savaged so badly by Twitter that they were forced to delete the tweet.
0: But what, do you, what are you thinking? I hope that person was fired because if that... Is in your intellectual hemisphere <laughs> <laughs> to write something like that. You mm-hmm. don't. You should not be in that job. No, because sim- like, there are a lot of us yeah. who
1: would gladly take your
0: job. Yeah, I get that people make mistakes, and we saw this with the whole Raymond Moore bullshit, where people are coming to his defense. But to go so far as to make that big of a mistake, like you're just beyond help. Mm-hmm. Like, sorry, <laughs> not sorry. I ain't sorry. I ain't sorry. No, no, hell no! Bye, bye. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed, but there were so many great matches on the women's side of Wimbledon this year, and this happened without Maria Sharapova, without Victoria Azarenka, mm-hmm. without Muguruza. Muguruza. <laughs> yes, you're the one who says I know. It I slipped. You know? I slipped just then. All these players, Kvitova, Kvitova at Wimbledon was not a factor Mm -hmm, in week two. All these top women players were absent from the nitty-gritty of championship weekend. And still, I didn't miss anything or felt like I missed Mm. anything. And maybe and probably that has more to do with my love for the Williams and that they were there. So it's like, fuck everybody else. (laughs) <laughs> but I really don't right. think that the quality of tennis or the spectacle of women's tennis suffered at all.
1: No, I mean, we had Vandway Bondarenko way early on. We had Sloan and Svetlana. Sibylkova, Agarodwanska. Agor- I mean, just watching Sibylkova's run was incredible. You mm-hmm. know, it's, uh, it's crazy that even without Petra playing well right now at Wimbledon,
0: like, you have so much to enjoy in women's tennis. Steve Tignor wrote this piece after the kerber Hollot match. And in it, he talked about how the WTA has this number two by committee right now. Right. Kerber won the Australian Open. Muguruza won the French Open. Azarenka just dominated the Sunshine Double mm-hmm. with Miami and Indian Wells. At various stages of twenty sixteen, there have been these different women who've put their hand up as being the true number two.
1: Right, and even Rodwanska winning the WTA finals yep. and playing well this year as mm-hmm. well. You know, and
0: then Halep lurking in the five six region. Right, a former number two herself uh-huh. and a solid number yep. two at that. Kavetova, two time champion, outside the top ten now, after this Wimbledon, mm.
1: but still dangerous.
0: Yeah, you know, and so the idea is. Tenier feels that the WTA is better off having a, a, a number two by committee mm. than a so-called true number two. Because the net effect is anybody can show up to play and have a good run any week. Right. And when you have Serena being the standard still, all these players challenging her on a week-to-week basis, it makes her really compelling viewing. And with Kerber now being the two-time finalist, one time slam champion of twenty sixteen, she's now in that pole position, but it could be somebody it could be Azaranga come to the US mm-hmm. Open. And I'm totally fine with it that. It could be as Sloan Stevens. Who oh knows? Kills. No, I'm not joking. <laughs> no, we know that Sloane ain't about that Grand Slam life right now. And right now. Right now. But she has the talent. As Miss Jackson would say, what have you done for me lately? <laughs>
1: Yeah, apparently. We did half an episode on Sloan earlier this year, and you just dash her away. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm very fickle. <laughs> I threw away Pliskova last week. I'm throwing away Stevens right. this week. So there you have it. But I do like this number two by committee thing
1: because it takes the focus away from, oh, Serena has no rival. Mm-hmm. And it emphasizes... bullshit argument. It emphasizes that she is playing in a very competitive... Yeah. ...time in women's tennis. You know, this is a very rich... hmm competitive field here
0: like which is it going to be are you going to just destroy serena and her credibility for not having a so-called true rival or are you going to tell her that she's just shitting the bed because she's not winning the australian open and french open yeah but at the same time celebrating kerber and Muguruza. like there has to be some consistency with this narrative and why can't we just defer to a base level where like and the actual reality That things are pretty damn good on the WTA right now. Mm -hmm. So much, so so much more than the ATP. Oh,
1: well, that's what I
0: think. Yeah.
1: And I mean, you know, people, there are plenty of people who are not going to like her if she's dominating and they don't like her if she's losing or if there's parody on tour. So, you know, we, you just can't win.
0: And I'm going to close this segment by saying There was so much positivity surrounding the Williams sisters today on Twitter and for the last two weeks for that that matter, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you still saw stuff being retweeted into your timeline by, you know, colleagues and, you know, friends. Donald Trump. No, no, no. (laughs) Like, people who share your same set of core beliefs. Okay. But they're retweeting these things to drag people who are coming for Venus and Serena, Mm, right? mm. Specifically Serena. And in previous moments of my life, I would have been really turned up about it. But today I just, I didn't even have room in my heart and my soul and my spirit for this fucking bullshit. Mm.
1: Yeah, I have to agree. I was thinking about the same thing today and I understand why people have that impulse to defend at all costs, and I get it, and I even respect it, but, you know, like, I, right now, I cannot get worked up about John Isner not congratulating Serena, because nobody cares about him, you know? And, I mean,
0: I did drag Ryan Harrison. I oh, did. yeah, he's he it. He's garbage. Like, what have you done? <laughs> uh, not even lately. Ever. Not even lately. What have you done ever? Ever. ever? Except eat up wild cards for... And then sometimes look fat, and then sometimes look in shape. <laughs> and then always lose. Like, which is it? <laughs>
1: No, but really, your point is well taken, that this is a day to celebrate, and I don't want to get caught up in, in fighting battles that aren't worth fighting.
0: Like, bitch, you know? stop interrupting my grinding. Right, exactly. Boy, bye. <laughs> so on to the men's draw. Andy Murray, or 2016 Wimbledon champion, his third Grand Slam to go along with his Olympic gold medal, and second at Wimbledon.
1: He Wimbledon is just good for him. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, he won his
1: first big time title at the Olympics at the All England Club and then followed it with the U.S. Open title. And then the following year won Wimbledon. I have to say, coming down from the high that was yesterday, it it didn't reach those heights. But of course, I was really happy for Andy because he's one of my favorite male tennis players.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've said it before. I don't care for his game that much. But it's more tolerable on grass. (laughs) (laughs) More tolerable. Yeah, his struggles are less pronounced. Uh, I do enjoy watching him at home. And I like seeing him succeed. And so, good for him. I was hoping that he was going to announce
1: that Scotland was seceding from the United (laughs) Kingdom during the speech, but
0: he didn't. Right in front of David Cameron and Prince William and Miss... Kate Middleton. I
1: mean, at this point, David Cameron's probably like, fuck it, who cares? <laughs> you know, he's resigning. The Royals, do they even know what's going on? Oh, my God. Um, You know, Andy has been playing absolute peak tennis this year. Mm-hmm. You, if well, he... not peak. Well. But very, very damn his, good. Yes. His peak. He's been playing really well. I mean, some people have been saying that this is the best that Andy has ever played. And he has the misfortune of running into Novak a lot. And I, I don't know. There's, there's something to be said about that.
0: See, it's hard for me to tell because he's playing these finals against Djokovic, and I don't know how to gauge anybody's best when they're playing Djokovic. Right. So, mm. and good for him that he didn't have to play Djokovic right. this time around. Nor do I feel like that diminishes his achievement because I honestly would have picked Andy before the tournament even started. A, because Djokovic has to lose some time, mm-hmm. which he did. And... Andy plays better or best against Novak on grass and this is his tournament. Right. This is his home court. Centre Court Wimbledon is where his magic happens.
1: And listen, he won his other two majors against Djokovic in the final. And this is the first time he's ever faced anyone except for Roger or Novak in a Grand Slam final. I feel like he deserved this.
0: <laughs> yeah, like there's know? no reason why his Grand Slam final record should be 2 and 8. It's now 3-8, which is still terrible. I know. But, you know, let the man have one. (laughs) I do feel like, you know, maybe he could
1: have pulled out a few of those against Novak. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, what are you going to do?
0: It's just tough luck, right?
1: He did have good fortune of facing Roundish today, sorry to say. And I know, you know, we're in Canada right now, and... We don't give two fucks to that. (laughs) i was just saying well we're not canadian i'm like well oh shit you are now you're officially <laughs> canadian now i sure but I am. i'm not and i do not have to pretend to be into milos Raonic.
0: girl you collect that free health care
1: <laughs> <laughs> i pay taxes here <laughs> that is not free health care is not contingent on supporting tennis canada
0: well, better supporting Raunich than Bouchard, right? Well, this is true.
1: I mean, I don't really have any huge objections to Milosh. He's he's very professional. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy said that he and his team are very well mannered. What
0: Did the you... <laughs> fuck was that? That whole he went on for like two minutes, I know. naming everybody in Milos' camp by name, <laughs> telling them that they, you know, I love the way that they use their knife and fork at dinner. <laughs> <laughs> It was the most bizarre right. thing I've ever heard. In no, a but Milos,
1: I mean, nobody really has anything bad to say yeah, about him. It
0: was almost as if it was some low key shade. Like, this is the most interesting thing about right.
1: Milos. Right. Right? He's just boring.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, and his game has reached new heights, I think. Yes. And that's easy to say because he's just reached his first Grand Slam final. And he's still a little timid, I think. He's not a pure servant vollier. He's definitely you know, much improved. He is. But he could still stand to be more aggressive and more, maybe, sure footed when coming to the net. I mean, he comes to the net a lot. And I'm, it wasn't working as well as it could have against Andy.
0: I'm just hoping with the Rogers Cup coming up that he gets assigned the night matches every night so that I don't have to feel like I'm missing out on anything. Right, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I do think that
1: Milos. Sh- was, you know, he showed some composure in this final. I don't know that he was totally cowed by the occasion. No, And he only lost serve once, which John McEnroe was, like, screaming in the commentary box. Yeah. It just got weird, you know. He re- he was only broken once, and Andy played an incredible match. And there's really not much you can do facing Andy Murray at that level.
0: Because Milo's best weapon is his serve. And when you're bombing those serves in and Andy's getting them back at a rate that you haven't experienced yet in the tournament, a hey, what right? what do you do? Like Andy is one of the top two best returners in the game now. Yes. And he showed every bit of that today. Federer made the semifinals unexpectedly. I told you on the preview episode that I didn't think there was any chance in hell that he could win this tournament. Right. And I was really hoping i didn't have to eat that humble pie <laughs> and the way this draw played out it was like okay yeah we don't want djokovic to win that got taken care of pretty mm. easily and it's like okay my god no that means Federer is going to get 18 and it's like okay milos took care of that right <laughs> and andy won you know rafa wasn't there for us to cheer on so we we really have no complaints at all whatsoever this entire fortnight
1: no it's true and i wasn't Honestly, I wasn't rooting against Roger. I wasn't rooting for Roger. If he won 18, I would have been genuinely happy for him. Agreed. I wasn't, I'm not hoping against that. Because, well, I would like him to separate himself from Novak a little bit. You know, just add one. <laughs> <laughs> but he he had a great performance against Chilich. He was down two sets to love. And then I guess remembered that he's Roger Federer. And muscle memory, I guess. (laughs) And I mean,
0: Chilich had kind of like a mental moment. The one thing that if it were to have happened, and I think I said this last time, if Chilich were to have won this tournament, I might just have needed a permanent vacation from men's tennis. Uh, Yeah, I think we would have just closed up shop. (laughs) Federer went on to lose to round in five sets. Talk of like some niggle or injury he picked up. Hopefully that's Mm -hmm. not too long term for him. But all in all, like Fed fans, doubt you could be even more happy. Well, you could be. He could have won. Well, you could have been more right. happy. And you probably feel that with Novak out of the draw early and out of his path, that it was maybe an opportunity lost. Mm-hmm. But given where he was coming from this year, it's pretty damn good.
1: Yeah, and you know, I'm sure he's a little disappointed because he knows that he only has so many years left. And that Wimbledon is his best shot at another major. But, you know, he's probably also happy that he made the semis. Maybe even a little surprised. Boyfriend
0: Songa made the quarterfinals.
1: He did. And I feel like a lot of people were a little bit mean to me for saying that Joe was a
0: contender. They were totally on point.
1: And, and Joe
0: still only made the quarterfinals. He did.
1: <laughs> yeah. But it's like people were saying, like, he's going to crap out in the first round. Like, I was insane to pick it. The quarterfinals is the last eight people. Yeah, but quarterfinals
0: you know? is not winning.
1: You no. said he had a chance of winning. Okay. I didn't say he was going to win. Okay. He was in the top five people I was looking at. And do you think he was less likely of winning than Tomas Berdic? No.
0: Really? Berdic has a Berdic. <laughs> Berdict. Has at least made the finals at, at Wimbledon. He's had a rough go of it mm. as well in 2016, but I don't know. I, I think the case could be made more for Tomáš than for Songa. Okay. Okay. I'm being intentionally obtuse You right are, now.
1: because he put in a stinker against Andy, and Songa put on a, a really good show against the eventual champion. Okay. And, I mean... He came back from two sets to love against Isner and was saved by the darkness, kind of, and then went on to win a fifth set 1917 and was really blessed by
0: Gasquet retiring during their match in the Mm -hmm. first set because he had a chance to rest a little bit. It's still mind-blowing that he hasn't won a tournament, a Grand Slam. You see him play Andy the way he did in the fourth round, giving Andy his best test of the tournament with Andy playing in peak form, right? Mm-hmm. And you wonder somebody who has all those shots. I saw him hit a one-handed backhand, slice backhand, double-handed backhand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's got a good serve, he can cover the court, he can do anything on on the tennis court. Mm-hmm. And somehow over the course of a decade now, he hasn't been able to reach more than one final. That's it's he has to be the most disappointing tennis player of the last Decade. What? He has to be. He has to be with all his talent. <laughs> well regardless of the era that he's played mm-hmm. in. Sorry.
1: I feel like if Stan Morenka can break through and win two, why can't Songa win one? You know, he's so explosive. He's such a great athlete. He loves the grass. You know, but his game works on all surfaces. So I'm still hoping. Up until the day he retires, I'm still hoping. This John McEnroe conflict of
0: interest bullshit.
1: (laughs) Okay, ESPN must think that we really cannot live without him, right? Must. Because we absolutely need his voice in the box every time.
0: I imagine there's a big disconnect between how folks on tennis Twitter feel and how people feel when they aren't in tune to us bitching about this stuff all the time yeah if you're just turning on tv to watch oh Federer's is on let me watch and you're like oh there's john McEnroe. i remember him from back mm. in the day oh he's pretty funny and you don't know from week to week that he doesn't know what he's talking about but he just regurgitates <laughs> the same things over and over right. again okay yeah that I can he, see that. he could probably be a big part of their ratings package you know?
1: well because he does have star power yes. among casual people
0: and even Casual not tennis fans know the whole "you cannot be serious" thing. He oh, has yeah. that that cachet, well, that crossover appeal.
1: He was a star in the days when,
0: like, tennis stars
1: could be famous outside of the sport. Yeah, you know.
0: But after the fi- <laughs> first of all, he's calling Raunich matches for BBC all throughout mm-hmm. Wimbledon. Then he calls the final for ESPN, right? Yeah. With his brother, his insufferable brother, and Chris Fowler, who I don't mind. But at the at the end of the match, Patrick, John, and Chris are sitting down, and they're giving him like this big segment to talk about what it's like to be the coach. Right. And what's next for him. Him. And he's talking about, oh, I haven't spent seven weeks in Europe in like 35 years, and oh, I don't know how long this is going to carry on for, and blah, 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 blah. Like, Dude, this is not about you. It's...
1: John McEnroe is the biggest egomaniac in tennis.
0: but tell Like, me, by a mile. I want to ask you this, though, because I've seen a lot of people ask, you know, if he's adding some insights into the match, why is it that big of a problem?
1: Okay. But why not have him contribute, like, a short interview during the match? Why does he have to call the entire thing?
0: Well, why is that a problem? Like, I, 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 mm. I, I want... To interrogate this, because people are wondering, and I've thought so myself. Like, do we consider ESPN a journalistic media outlet? <laughs> well, do we have to no. hold them by journalistic standards? Do we concede that that in this day and age, journalism and sport reporting are two separate things? Like, are we being archaic in pushing this conflict of interest angle? And Um, is the benefit of him giving some insights into Milos outweighing whatever conflict of interest mm. drawback there could be?
1: Am I expected to answer those? Yeah, yeah. Are those too too many questions? (laughs) Didn't we learn that in, like, intro to journalism? Don't ask a question with all those different uh, heads. That was a long time ago. (laughs) You know, I feel like... So, sport commentary doesn't have to be purely objective because it's impossible and we both believe that right and because it might not be super interesting right Mm -hmm. but there is i feel like the commentary should at least be reasonably fair to both players and to also give the viewers kind of a balanced perspective and like a more well-rounded understanding of what's going on on court you know, and John McEnroe is not there for that. Like Chris Fowler is the one who is the professional, mm-hmm. like the professional broadcaster, right? John's so the color that's guy. his role. Yeah. But to add, adding to this problem is that John McEnroe just never stops talking. You know, like he is there for himself first and foremost, and then he gets to brag about how now he's a coach and he got to spend months in Europe with his new student. You know. It's like, this is not interesting, we're not here for you, and nobody asked you. It's just that your brother is on TV asking these questions that nobody cares about.
0: You know, I don't know. That's how I feel. Do you think that the fact that ESPN was up front and basically hammering us in the head, or over the head, with this conflict of interest made it more bearable? As John Wortham intimated in his mailbag last week? Yes,
1: I do. I actually, yeah. Because how many years was Mary Joe Fernandez married to Tony Godsick? Well, she's still married to him, but he was Federer's agent. I mean, Chris Evert has an academy. She has a stake in the USTA development program, obviously. Like, these things are never spoken about. So, yeah, I actually do appreciate that they mentioned it. Well, because
0: you can't hide something like that. Okay. That's pretty much all we got for the men. <laughs> it was like pulling teeth. I know. Getting that... through this much of this segment.
1: I just have to say one more thing. I'm so happy that Andy has three slams now and he's been able to separate himself from Stan Marenka. Because his career is far more impressive than Stan's overall. And I don't want history to look at them as the same. <laughs> you know?
0: Because nobody remembers how many Masters titles you won.
1: Right. Or, you know, how many weeks you spent at number three or number two. I I just don't want Andy to be remembered as, like,
0: a perennial bridesmaid. He'd have been remembered as a perennial miserable bridesmaid. Yes.
1: (laughs) But, like, she doesn't even smile for the pictures. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we're actually going to go watch Outlander tonight. Not in honor of Andy, but,
0: you know, we can raise a glass. Take a trip to the Highlands. Mm -hmm. It's time for our interview. We recorded this yesterday. It was the f- we've actually recorded this podcast in three separate sittings. <laughs> it seems right, and this was the first bit that we did. And as we said before, it's with uh, Steph in the US. She was able to see so much of the Williams sisters at Wimbledon. She saw Venus on Court eighteen. She sat beside Isha, a couple seats away from Orosine. There are things that she saw and experienced that we thought. Or listeners would be very interested in hearing because we know we got a lot of William Stans mm-hmm. out there listening, right? So this one's for y'all. And thanks, Steph, for coming on the show. Hello, Steph.
2: Hi, how's it going?
0: Great. This is a wonderful day.
2: I'm like still floating amongst the clouds. <laughs> I can keep reading all the
0: stuff. <laughs> but also it's the type of thing that makes a twelve year old's birthday party tolerable, right?
2: <laughs> True. Because I was like, I can do anything now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Truth be told but, um, though, it's been it's been an amazing two weeks. It's been the Wimbledon of Williams. I know. And like I can't
2: even believe I was there. Like, I mean I go home Monday night, but I'm looking at the final today and I'm thinking it feels like a month ago i was on center court where it was only last week so yeah it's been it's been crazy but like i think having both both sisters doing so well and making it so far plus the double but like we haven't had this in a while you
0: know no we haven't
2: so so it felt like even more intense um but yeah i'm just i'm so fucking thrilled i just can't even
0: <laughs> <laughs> we we did a, a mid- wimbledon episode and we had michael lewis on and even that feels like a month ago and we talked about the fact that you guys met up
2: i know i know that was really fun so uh you know i always like to try and meet up with people and um sometimes it's hard at plans i i usually try to under promise because it's not like little tournaments where it's like oh yeah i'll pop out you know like arthur ash is so hard i'm like no it was in, i'm in but um yeah it's To be fed water so we be, he came in with me. uh that you know, was a—he uh, was so thrilled. I was like, "Yep, this is pretty much the best seat in the house." So it was
0: awesome. I can't imagine what it must have been like to be to be beside him watching Roger Federer in center court, knowing what I know of I, him. <laughs> yes, I know. I mean, I, you know, because I go to tournaments
2: on my own pretty much all the time. Like, except for my mom will come with me to. Never once while the U.S. Open, but.
0: know what that's like because I've still yet to be uh to a slam same with James yeah so, so I, thought I the U.S. open I know that's the next step I mean it's close <laughs> yeah. enough we're in Toronto it's New York City we can drive there there's really no reason yeah. we haven't been yet I guess other than money but we're gonna make it happen yeah. I imagine from being to like the Rogers Cup and Cincinnati where we met last year, there's less pressure on yourself to get the most out of your money, right? Like if I'm sitting on, so. if I'm, if I just want to stay on court nine, cause it's a great court in Cincinnati and just watch a couple matches. I don't necessarily care if I'm missing somebody on center court, but like the mm-hmm. stakes are much higher at a, at a grand slam, I'd imagine.
2: No
1: Why don't you tell us about your uh, court 18 experience with Venus?
2: Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, first, I I didn't get to see her first match because it was court one, and I tried to work my connections, but everyone, a lot of people inside tennis were like, this is, they think it could be her last Wimbledon, you know, this Mm. is before her first match, and so, you know, no one could get me, like, a a little seat in there, so that's fine. Um, And so, of course, Board and Venus ever being on it, um, you know, I, I knew that on that second match she wouldn't be on the center, but I, I didn't expect court 18. I thought maybe court two or three. So I had um, actually a Twitter friend, um, football tennis, um, an awesome guy named Nigel. We met in uh, Eastbourne because I went down there for two days um, before I went to Wimbledon. and He just said, oh, hey, I'm trying for Thursday court three tickets. So I'm Ticketmaster. Do you want me to get you one if I can? And I said, well, yeah, sure, because... I hate queuing and I didn't <laughs> want to queue um, so I I went four days this year and I did not queue and I consider that a, a huge success and there were many factors why I didn't have to queue. Um so when the draw came or the order of play came out for that, that first Thursday and it's a Corey at Keen, and I thought, Are you kidding me right now? If like, you could see Venus at Wimbledon on a freaking ground path, like when when will that happen again? I mean, maybe that Nina match a couple of years ago was on a court like that. I don't remember. Um, but all I know is that I said to Nigel, all right, well, I'm going to be there, you know, meet up right before the gate's open. I want to get my ass. At court 18, I want to get a good seat, you know, because she was the second match that day. And, um, you know, bless Nigel. He was catching public transport. I could walk within half an hour to the gate because I stayed close. Um, so as soon as he got there literally like went to um quarry and there's a certain side that i like it's behind the player chairs um it's just kind of a nicer side and it's by the player seat, player team seat so we kind of sat right like, there anyway and it wasn't you know i'm sure i had a thought that oh that'd be cool like enforcing ended up being there but you know, <laughs> you know there's because di- there's like two different areas for players so um we sat through the women's match before, which was Kiki Modenovic. Her parents were sitting near us and all of the team, and of course she played like crap, so that <laughs> matched really quickly. So, you know, I'm not moving. Like, I hadn't really eaten that much. I'm like, I don't care if I need another coffee. I'm not moving my ass from this seat because it's damn good, and as soon as people are going to, they're going to be filling this for Venus. Like, this place is going to be rocking. Um, so, all of a sudden, Here
0: comes Isha, here comes Martine, and they're sitting right next to me.
2: What?
0: No. I mean So much much of the talk about Venus's court assignment for Court eighteen was how horrible it was. You know, but nobody, myself included, considered how awesome it would be for just the Grounds Pass people. You know? That's the opportunity of a lifetime
2: um, So, Nick McCarvel, um I've known for quite a few years, and he had um, sent me a, 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 a DM, you know, later that day, just saying, oh, hey, can I talk to you about Venus's match? And, you know, one of the things I said to him is that when, when the order of play came out, I said, oh, my God, people can see her on a ground pass. Like, I am all about, yes, I mean, I I feel like every year I get pissed off at Wimbledon for a couple different reasons, but I will send it to the
0: fan
2: perspective this year, and I'm like, you know what? That is amazing, and I wish that sometimes that all Grand Slams would put top names on smaller courts. I realize it's not always really smart, but I mean, I remember Federer played on Armstrong at you know at the U.S. Open a couple years ago. I mean, it's amazing to see top players, legendary players, right in front of you. You just don't get that very often. And so, you know, I wasn't mad because I knew that that meant I was going to be able to see her. And, you know, there's just something about being, being that close to players and matches to really, like, hear the exertion and really see the faces. And, and, I mean, it was, it was surreal to have her walk onto a court that size. But man, every seat was full, of course. And there was long lines to get in there. I mean, people wanted to see her. Um, but the funniest thing was before, before Oristine sat down, because they were, it looked like they were going to sit in the, in the row in front of us. Um, and Oristine goes, are there what did she say like is there a leg room in, in this court or something because it looks, it's really tight you know it's so royal box That's
1: right
0: she's not used to these uh, small show courts you know that said if she sat in front of you she could have handed you an Evian water like she did to Beyonce today did you see that well oh my god that gift was
2: amazing actually <laughs> give me life, and I, I actually, I actually talked to her in Singapore a couple of years ago, because she was on my flight back to the U.S. after stream one, uh-huh. um, you know, and I was kind of, like, standing there mid-rise by her, and we're going through security line, I'm like, oh my god, it's or Orisine, like, we love her so much, you know, she's, mm-hmm. like, in her cargo pants, you know, just kind of, like, chilling, um, but, so, no, she wouldn't have been right in front of me, mm-hmm. because I was right, in, like, in the last seat in the back row that was next to the player seat, so she would have been kind of over a little bit, um, but it ended up that Isha sat right, like literally, sat next to me. Um, so that was awesome because I love me from Isha.
1: <laughs> Who does it?
2: I mean, she's freaking amazing. I mean, if you ever see her, you know, of course, being interviewed. I mean, she's so smart. But she's like the crier in the family. Yeah, um, yeah. Which I, I, which I love because you know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like that too with tennis. I mean, today I was like falling five three. I was like. <laughs> Sakari up. Sakari. I mean that was a tough match and so you know the crowd was really vocal but to like be sitting next to her and like or two people down for me.
0: I'm like, what is this? Did you get to talk to her at all? Or have any like casual interaction? Sister, are you right? I know,
2: right? <laughs> I mean, I don't care. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, there's just, I mean, Orsina herself is just such an amazing woman. Um, you know, she's just the best tennis mom out there. And so to kind of be able to hear, I suppose, kind of her comments through the match was amazing. Yeah,
0: because you only ever really see her her reactions her facial expressions right and she always looks yes. so unbothered by everything <laughs> so to actually hear I some know, of the I stuff know. she actually said that's pretty new
2: yeah <laughs> sorry i can hear there's a little echo there um but yeah i i felt like it, being able to just kind of hear a few comments whether it was her cheering on venus a little bit or just kind of commenting it you know because i did go through cents so it was just it was just cool to just have the team reaction right next to me because when do you get there at Wimbledon? You know, you just don't.
1: Now, uh, who are some of the other players you saw while you were there?
2: Well, it's funny because I was trying to think back. You know, when I was on a grounds pass the first Monday, and actually the first match I went to see was Vicky Duvall against Daria Kashkina, um, oh. and I had not seen Kashkina before live. And I mean, Vicky Duvall, I mean, you just want to go hug her. I mean, it's yep. incredible that she's back on a tennis court. So I, you know, that was on, um, I forget which court it was, but court 12 maybe. You know, really nice court. And of course, poor, uh, you know, vicky got called for a football the first serve, and I swear it threw her off, and she got bageled. And I was really impressed with Casquina, so that was really fun. Um, I, so, I mean, I spent day two in center court, and so before that, I was watching Lucic Baroni with, uh, against Dominika Tivocova. Yeah. Um, but that was, I saw that match first round five years ago. They actually played the first round at Wimbledon. It was like 8-6 in the third set to Domi. Um, but unfortunately, a, a, a fan collapsed or passed out in the crowd during that match. That was also four eighteen, 18, and so there was a pretty long interruption. So I ended up leaving and went to get on the center court for Serena, but, you know, I I mean I, I watched um, Wednesday was pretty much rained out. I went to watch a little bit of um Steven, she was in a tie break with Peng Shui, um, It was just, just a terrible day and then that Thursday then was the Venus match. And then of course I saw Venus and Serena play double on court three. Ugh. Um, that's one that was of the, the last match I saw at
0: Wimbledon. That's one of the treasures of attending tennis tournaments that I feel like most people don't quite get. If you go to somewhere like Cincinnati, like you see all these doubles teams that don't necessarily play together all the time; just play together for fun, you know, mm-hmm. or just just because to get some extra practice. Like I remember yeah. being uh, in in uh, Montreal and seeing Andy Murray, Novak Djokovic, and Rafa Nadal play back to back to back on one of their courts, and you don't yeah. really think of Crazy. these guys of playing doubles, but you see this all the time. Yes, the, the Williams sisters are, you know, very big-name doubles team, so that's a big draw. But doubles is a very big part of attending live tennis. For sure,
2: and I think that, I mean, I know some tournaments I've been to before, like Charleston, for example. I remember talking to one of the volunteers when I was there, and she said, you know, this is a double town, and people love doubles. And, you know, I, I always feel sad when it gets kind of shoved on five court. In any tournament because you want a crowd especially in Grand Slams but I think when Venus and Serena were put on court three I thought that's going to be really good um I did have court three ticket that day thanks to Nigel my uh, my Twitter buddy that I hung out with um on that day and I mean you know so we had an assigned seat because court three there I learned this year does have a, an unreserved section as well but we had a really good seat we got in there you know and that place filled up and I mean I have his entire career. I've sat in plenty of crowds in England even where they did not get a lot of love. So uh-huh. them walking mm. out together for doubles. I, I mean, it was incredible. The support, the noise, the crowd was just rapturous. And I, she just, I mean, I went to Eastbourne in 2011 when Serena, it was her comeback tournament. Serena from 10 months out and Venus had placed in Australia that year. And so, you know, I've had bad experiences with crowds in England, and so you know to kind of flip it five years, and then to be there with that kind of welcome was incredible to be part of. And man, did, did the crowd cheer for them! So the fact that that was their first match—I mean, they had i don't mean, I know they had won in four years at Wimbledon, but I don't even remember if they played there the last couple of years. Um, but you know, and it, the same response today when they won the, the title—I mean, it, talk about a crowd! I mean, they are such a draw, and I think are finally realizing how amazing it is to watch them, you know, especially on the same side of the court. I mean,
1: it's, it's amazing. Yeah, do you think, you know, people are starting to realize that we have maybe not so much time left with them and also that uh, they treat Wimbledon as kind of a home base, you know, that they really value this tournament? I think that they're, I think the crowd's starting to
2: realize that, especially with Serena winning there, you know, the last couple of times that she's won. Um, I mean, it's hard to, with Venus, because obviously she led the charge in trying to get equal, well, and getting equal prize money um, at Wimbledon, and obviously being a five-time year a 5 time champ. But, it, you know, I feel like every year we, we talk about the lack of center court matches for Venus. Um, mm-hmm. But I think if you take the organization out of it and look at the fans' support, I think fans definitely realize that the time is shrinking. And I think they're also. I think think they're probably getting a, a bit more respect from fans that really just understand how it, how amazing their story is and the fact that they're still out there in their mid-30s kicking ass. Um, I mean, they're, it's just an incredible draw. So that just kind of warmed my heart when they got such applause when they walked out and doubled. It was unreal. I,
0: I really got a sense this tournament that folks... And it's not just tennis fans, it's not just maybe somebody who wasn't a Williams fan and now are coming around. It's like this overall celebrity, media, uh, regular person interest in the Williams sisters and what they're doing. There, Suddenly there's a recognition that what they're doing is just something we haven't seen before.
2: Yeah, I mean, I show every week, and I I was talking all about women's tennis, and I think, you know, especially leading into the U.S. Open, you know, last year and last summer was incredible for, you know, especially with Serena, and I mean, Serena's the one that likes the limelight anyway, Venus is just, that's just not her, but I mean, certainly, um, you know, for such a long time, it was like, Venus and Serena, Serena and Venus, you know, they weren't separate identities, where clearly Serena embraces and is a superstar I mean, Beyonce's video. She's on so many magazine covers. I mean, she is pop culture, for sure. She has crossed over. And I think that that last year had a lot to do with that because there was so much attention on her, but I felt like it was building to that anyway, just with how much success she kept having, you know, even, you know, kick the, the calendar slam out of it, just how much she was winning at that age. And then, you know, obviously, Venus still playing and, and Venus having a couple really great years, you know, especially like the last two has been outstanding for her at her age. So, you know, I think that, I think there's still such a curiosity about them, but I do agree that it, they are, they're beyond the sport of tennis for sure. I mean, they were moving that way, but they're now I mean, they're, they're clearly, yeah, they're, they're bigger than the sports.
0: We've talked a bit on this uh, podcast here with you about how long they have left, right? That's come up a, a couple times. And it's something yeah. that I see and hear all the time. Pam Shriver, every chance she gets, says, oh, this might be the last time we see Venus Williams at Wimbledon. This might be the last time we see her at, at the supermarket. You know, like, <laughs> That's all we ever hear about now with Venus in particular. But I'm not convinced that we won't be seeing these two women play tennis singles you know, up until age 40 or even playing doubles together mm-hmm. at 45 you know I feel like they've yeah. been so instrumental in changing the landscape of women's tennis in particular as far as how long you know these women can play or want to play or can play you know from the very yeah. start of their careers they've revolutionized the game and I feel like this is the next step for them you know I was just
2: I thought that. Seriously. You know, when they-
1: That sounds so crazy, right?
0: you mentioned the whole business of forcing athletes to retire because it's been Uh one of my pet peeves since I was maybe, what, 10 years old? (laughs) 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 Because I grew up being a huge fan of Merlene Ati, a Jamaican track star, and she ran well into her late 30s. And Jamaican yeah. people, all they wanted to do was retire Merlin Atti And so I had this mm-hmm. sensibility toward, like, well, what the fuck? Like, if these people want <laughs> to play and run or whatever, however long they want to, why not, you know? Like, yeah. this whole business of ruining one's legacy is just mumbo-jumbo garbage. I mean, you know, I saw a
2: quote again today about Fedder, you know, that he... Kind of comparing him to Serena a little bit, which, honestly, I just don't think we should...
0: Um,
2: they're different sport. Yeah. To me, you know, it, it was interesting, though, because he's only won one slam in his 30s, whereas Serena has won, what, eight now? Nine. I think yeah. Nine. nine. Is it eight, nine? Yeah. I mean, that's just incredible, but it's, you know, when I first started watching tennis, it was a teenager's sport. I mean, mm-hmm. I kind of started watching because of Monica Bellis and Jennifer Capriotti because I was mesmerized because they were around my age, and I thought, Man, look at these, look at these ladies. And of course, Graf won, what, eight of her slams when she was in her teens? I think I saw that graphic, graphic today. I, I can't mm-hmm. remember exactly. Yeah. But she won a lot of her slams as a teenager as well. I mean, obviously she won the Grand Slam as a teenager. And it's funny because you think of Serena's success at 17, but she was 20 when she won her second. So she only won one as a teenager. And I think it's been clear in the last five years with people like Giovone and Lina and Fanetta did There is no there is no age cap on when you are supposed to be good in a sport, and Serena and Venus are just absolute anomalies that they have been able to win as youngsters and are still winning. But there is no reason for anyone to keep talking about oh well this could be the last time. I mean I've I've done that, but I think now I'm kind of realizing that.
0: They're in no hurry to leave us, so we should stop really thinking about it like that. Amen. And on that note, we're gonna thank you for coming on the show. We'd love to have you on longer, but we we try to keep our episodes uh, you know, a little bit at the most over an hour and we've still got our regular stuff to record. (laughs) So this is gonna be a challenge.
2: No, I'm so happy to come on. I love your podcast. And, you know, maybe you guys last year in Sissy was such a highlight. I had so much fun. And you guys are bright. You make me laugh on this podcast all the time. So I'll always welcome. Um, I would always welcome an invitation back. But go uh, but so Williams, Wimbledon. It was really fantastic for <laughs> a fantastic
1: couple of weeks. Yeah, and thank you. You've been Thanks. such a big supporter of ours throughout our whole run. So we really appreciate it and really happy to have you on. Yeah,
2: my pleasure. Enjoy the rest of the show.
1: Thanks again to Steph for coming on the show. Uh, You can hit her up on Twitter at Steph in the US. And her Twitter profile is a treasure trove of Williams memorabilia. She has such an impressive knowledge of WTA history. It's really... She's got a lot of good stuff.
0: If you've ever seen the Serena MTV Diary episode floating around on YouTube, Mm -hmm. it's on Steph's YouTube channel. Yes, oh my god. She has... (laughs) transferred so many vhs tapes of tennis (laughs) stuff to youtube and that's the only copy of it on youtube to my knowledge so thank you to her for that as well
1: absolutely
0: and thank you all for listening to our extended episode it's no accident that our two longest episodes have been the last two episodes because they've just been there's just been so much williams goodness to talk about
1: and we hope to come to you again at the Olympics in a similar jubilation.
0: You bought me tickets to Rio?
1: <laughs> I ain't going to know Zika no, crap. No, we're not going to Rio. I bought you cable for the next month so we can watch it on TV.
0: I will hold you to that because <laughs> we split the cable. You just said you're paying the entire cable Oh no, for sorry, the I next meant month.
1: Like my half of the cable. Mm. Mm-hmm, really generous, right? <laughs> so we... We'll probably be coming to you with a TV episode soon. I haven't planned that one out yet, but hoping to take advantage of the very brief lull after Wimbledon.
0: We thought that maybe we'd celebrate episode 50 with our second TV episode. Because we said, well, maybe we'll do one twice a year. And it's been exactly half a year since Mm -hmm. the last one, so it's good timing. And we have some new shows to talk about. We have Outlander. And you cannot stop talking about season four of *Oranges and New Black*. Oh my god!
1: Yeah, we should just have an episode about Jamie Fraser from *Outlander*. Oh my god! Just you talk are about so thirsty. the contours of his body. <laughs> <laughs> anyway,
0: for Sassanak. for another day.
1: Thanks everyone for listening. I'm James. I'm at Elliot JMR.
0: I'm Jonathan at Sportscribe CA,
1: and we are the Body Serve at the Body Serve on Twitter.
0: Also available on iTunes, where you are more than welcome to give us a review, a positive one. We love having those. (laughs) You are not welcome to give a negative one. Ryan Harrison, do not be trolling my podcast because of the stuff I said about you. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Till next time.